Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome to it. It is the Michael Duke Show, hour two of the big radio broadcast, and we are uh, ready to hour one of the big radio broadcast. And we are ready to dive down into it for Thursday where we have uh, a lot of stuff to cover today and uh, just a little bit of time to do it. So, <clears throat> hi, how are you? You ready to get into it? You ready to be part of the program today? I know, I know I am. Uh, we've got a uh, we got a big show lined up for you today. We are going to be going over some headlines here in hour one. We're going to be talking about, uh, well, all the things that are fit to print, um, including a discussion on the latest for the defined benefits program. We knew this was coming. We knew that something was uh, in the works and it popped out last night or yesterday, rather, for us to uh, go over and discuss. We're also going to talk about a new bill in the House that would mandate um, what they what they are calling science based sex education, and um, it uh, well let I let me just say that uh, let me just say that I would rather uh, again be homeschooling my children one more time uh, than have to deal with a lot of the stuff that we're seeing in that realm of possibility. All right, so. Uh, that's kind of a rundown for today to begin with, and we're going to uh, then in hour two take it up with Representative Ben Carpenter. Um, <clears throat> ben Carpenter, who is the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, who has been tasked with trying to develop a long-term fiscal solution for the state of Alaska, and we're going to talk with him in hour two and uh, we're going to get a full rundown from him on all the things that are going on around the state um, and what his plan is, what the plan is of the Ways and Means Committee and the majority to try and fix, try and fix the fiscal morass that we find ourselves in as of right now, as of right now. So uh, that's kind of how things are ready to roll this morning. <clears throat> I don't know. Um, I had the phone lines open yesterday and basically nobody called. But I guess I will open up the phone lines again for this uh, for this morning, for hour one, uh, so that if there's something that you want to chat about um, or something that I'm commenting on that you want to sound off on, I guess we will uh, we'll get that. Um, 
we'll get that scored away and we'll get the phone lines open so that you can participate as well. Why not? I mean, you know, it's a it's a crapshoot. We'll see if you guys if you guys want to participate this morning. We'll let that go. Phone number to call, of course, is 907-433-3150. 907-433-3150. It's powered by our friends over there at Satellite West. They, of course, sponsor the program every morning. SatelliteWest.com <clears throat> from Willow to Wasilla, from uh, Menchumina to Metlakatla. Uh, from, uh, you know, Uktavik to Uzinki. I mean, wherever you want to go, they have the connectivity that you need to stay, you know, to stay in touch, whether it's through telephone calls or text messages, emails, or maybe just surfing the net. They've got the, uh, they've got the tools and the talent to make it happen. So uh, go check them out at SatelliteWest.com. Make sure you say thank you for sponsoring the program. Each and every day. Special thanks again to Satellite West at SatelliteWest.com. So phone lines are now open and active and ready to go if you want to sound off on anything. <sighs> I'm trying to decide. I'm trying to decide where I want to start this morning. Uh, thinking first and foremost, uh, let's just let's kind of get this uh, let's kind of get this out of the way and we'll uh, we'll get started. A bill has been introduced in the Alaska Senate that would mandate age appropriate science based sex education in Alaska public schools. Senate Bill 43 is sponsored by Senator L.V. Gray Jackson, co-sponsored by Senator Loki Gale Sheher Tobin and Senator Forest Run, Forest Run, Dunbar. The bill will be discussed in the Senate Education Committee. It was discussed yesterday at 3 p.m. Um, they have invited uh, they invited a bunch of uh, <clears throat> different um, uh, different speakers, including a doctor from the, uh, the Ketchumac Bay Family Planning Clinic, um, an education manager, and then two teen council members from Anchorage who were part of a peer-led sex ed advocacy group. I don't, yes. The bill doesn't call it sex education, by the way, but it refers to it as personal safety. It also mandates drug and alcohol education from kids from kindergarten <laughs> through 12th grade and says the instructions must include a variety of topics uh, including eluding sexual abuse, cancer detection, dental health, infant care, and more. Now, it used to be that in the requirements uh, that the school district would uh, was encouraged to initiate and conduct a program in health education for kindergartens through 12th grade, but they've changed that now. It's no longer just encouraged or suggested. It is now according to this bill, required to do so. The state public school system shall provide a program in health and personal safety. The program for education K through 12. The program must include instruction in physical health and personal safety, including alcohol, drug abuse education, CPR, early cancer prevention and detection, dental health, family 
health, including infant care, environmental health, and the identification and prevention of child abuse, child abduction, sexual abuse, domestic health, and appropriate use of health services and sexual health. It's added at the end. The state board shall establish guidelines for the health and personal safety education program required under A of this section, which is what I just read you was, pers- was section A. And then it continues to go on and talk about the different health and safety guidelines and all this other kind of stuff. Further in the bill, it says that the science used to inform the curriculum should come from accepted sources and that peer-reviewed journals are an accepted form of science along with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The bill specifically says the American Academy of Pediatrics is a credible scientific group. Of course, the AAP has come out in favor of reshaping children's identity through gender reassignment, hormones, and surgery as necessary. I mean, this is, this is just great stuff. Um, and they go through this whole thing um, with it. So this is coming out. I mean, all I, quite honestly, all I had to do is look at the plethora of sponsors of this bill and realize that I needed to look at it with a very jauntist eye to begin with. Uh, because generally speaking, in my own personal philosophy, there's not much that these three senators have talked about that I would be in favor of. So it immediately made me look at this with a jauntist eye. Then when it went from encouraged and uh, suggested to initiate to they shall provide, it is a mandatory thing. As soon as it went from that to that, I immediately started to go, no, 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 no. And then, of course, mandating and specifically mentioning mentioning the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics. um, I uh, that's that's when I was like, okay, so this is, again, trying to force this whole idea of, um, you know, children being young enough. Not young enough to vote, to smoke, to fight in wars, to do anything else. But damn, they're sure young enough to figure out what gender they want to be for the rest of their life. Other than their own. I mean, that was just like, I mean, I've never understood that. Look, whatever you want to do as an adult, I mean, I don't care. I mean, I I really, I really, it does not affect me. And so I, and I know some of you are going to be just shocked and, you know, by that. But hey, if somebody wants to live as another gender, good, more whatever more power to them if that's what you feel is good i mean we could cite study after study and case after case where there's been many people who have uh uh re- you know who have regretted those decisions there's a tremendous amount of uh, uh problems with suicide among that whole sect and everything else we could point out all the problems but you're an adult you can you know you decide But when you've got these young children who are already just learning and confused and don't know anything about life, and you're basically conditioning them uh, on these topics from a very young age, uh, when they are highly susceptible to suggestion from outside influences, especially influences that parents have been themselves conditioned to tell you, oh, they're the authority figures, honey. You've got to listen to them. You've got to listen to your teacher. When you when you see that, I find that repulsive. Again, if you want to do if you want if you want to live your life in a certain way, far be it from me to make that decision for you. You know, and again, I know some of you will have a hard time with that because you know 
I don't care. Again, if it doesn't affect me, if you're not making me pay for it, if you're not forcing it into my face every five minutes, I'm a live and let live kind of guy. Do what you want to do. But when you focus this stuff down on kids, again, who are so highly susceptible to influence, especially from figures of authority, and you start confusing their little, what did Limbaugh call it, the minds full of mush or whatever, when you start susceptible them to these kind of suggestions and ideas and, you know, maybe Bobby just doesn't feel right in his body or, you know, all this other kind of stuff, it, it's sick. It really is. You know, I mean, they have a hard enough time going through everything else. You've still got to go through your teen transformative years and puberty and all this other kind of things before you are right in the head right? Before you're really comfortable. And I know nobody's comfortable in their own skin anymore because everybody's got body issues and all these other kinds of stuff and peer pressure and social media. But for God's sake, let them at least become, you know, young adults before you start throwing this kind of stuff at them because they're confused enough about everything already. It's, it's just, it's so disturbing. So, so disturbing. That's the problem. But I I just, I look at this and I watch this and I'm just thinking, well, if this is a state mandate, how is this going to affect like my final kid who's still in the homeschool? It's a, it's a program that's funded by the state. So what are they going to, you know, what, 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 what am I going to see there? Am I going to see more of this nonsense there? Am I going to see, I mean, I just pray at this point that this doesn't go anywhere. Plus I will make a note that when they formed this majority coalition in the Senate, uh, it was said by several people, uh, it was quoted to me as saying, well, they, they're going to steer away from any kind of uh, <clears throat> highly contentious you know, social legislation this year. This is, well, so I guess that held out for just the right amount of time, huh? I mean, this is not going to be contentious at all, I'm sure. But that's, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just so discouraged by when I see stuff like this, that uh, this is kind of where we're at today. And it makes me want to crawl into a cave and just shut the world out away from me. When you're doing, you know, where you're kind of encouraging and demanding this kind of stuff be fed to the minds of children. It's just so problematic. Okay, we're gonna um, we're gonna take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we'll continue this discussion. You feel free to sound off. If you think I'm out of line, feel free to call me and tell me why. Tell me what. Tell me why this is kind of justified. Again, we've we've got programs already. We're already got things going on. It's just a suggestion, but now we need to have a forced mandate from the state down telling all these local communities what they should do. I mean, they want to push back on this stuff, right? That's all I hear about from defined benefits and all this other stuff is they want the local control. This is mandated from the state downward. So tell me what you think. 907-433-3150. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio.
running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, we got one line on hold. One line on hold this morning uh, already, so I guess we'll go over there real quick and get their name so that when we return uh, and rejoin the radio, we will uh, know who we're talking to. How about that? We'll start over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hello. Hey, Call- good morning, Michael. Uh, David Boyle calling from Anchorage. Oh, hey, David. Okay, hold the line, David. I'll be right back. Uh, I'll be right back to you. And uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll start off with you. You'll be number one in the queue when we get back. So don't go anywhere. All right. So David Boyle, uh, one of our education advocates, is uh, in uh, on the phone, continuing on here as well. Okay. What do you got going on here? Let me go backwards. Meet national spokesperson for Convention of the States today, 6 p.m. at the Patron's Kitchen uh, in Kenai, says Christine. The national spokesperson, spokesman for the Convention of the States, 6 p.m., Patron's Kitchen. Um, you're on the right track. More coffee will help. Science-based sex education, you mean you're either born a male or a female? When you hear that, I think many people are like, okay, yeah, that that makes sense. That's what, because to them, that's what science-based, no, because they're going, they're using that again as smokescreen, trying to capture the language and kind of camouflage the whole thing when they bring the AAP in there, who, of course, are advocating for gender reassignment surgery on children. I just, whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. None dared interrupt your epic rants yesterday. Yesterday was a ranting day. I will be, this whole week has kind of been ranty. I've been, I've been on a, yeah, yeah. Did you say mandate? I did say mandate. Uh, you can, must read Alaska's got the, let me post the must read Alaska article in here because that's what I was that's what I was quoting from was the Must Read Alaska article um, where she actually has uh, pictures or or uh, she has the bill language in there. And you could see what's been removed and what hasn't. Anytime you're looking at this, anything that's in bold and underlined has been added. And anything in the two brackets is what's being removed. So it used to say early district. Excuse me, each district in the state public school system shall be encouraged to initiate and conduct a program in health education for kindergarten through grade 12. Now it reads, every district in the state public school systems shall provide a program, shall provide a program in health and personal safety education for kindergarten through grade 12. You can go through this and just read what have, and they added sexual health. They added that it's now required under the section, so required now by state law. It goes it goes down into the next section and talks about what is medically and scientifically accurate information. Um, I mean, it's yeah, it's 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 just depressing. Um, CDC, <laughs> that said that, huh? Yeah, I know exactly. They said that. They said the CDC is this. Yeah. Um, 
they put that through, says Sandy, and homeschool programs are going to get another influx of students. Unless they're mandating the same thing inside the homeschooling system because it is part of a school district. I guess it just depends on how it's, you know, uh, I guess it just depends on how it's laid out. But it is, it, it's just, it's astonishing. Um, they are highly susceptible. That's why they're doing it at such a young age, says Sandy. Um, children, said Armed and AK, should not be making adult decisions. That's what I'm, I mean, you don't allow them to make anything out. You don't allow them to choose what they're having for breakfast when they're that age. You help them dress. You do all that kind of stuff. You're not going to, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, Johnny, you can't stay up past your bedtime, but you can decide whether or not you're a boy or a girl. That I mean, that, it's just, it's, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, we're jumping back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share. Okay, we're continuing now, ready to rum, run, re- ready to run, ready to rumble. We're ready to jump back into it. Continuing our discussions, plus we're taking some phone calls. We did get uh, we did get one call here on hold. Uh, on the line with us is David Boyle, who is a well-known education advocate uh, down in Anchorage. Uh, he talks a lot about school issues. He was uh, formerly with the Alaska Policy Forum. He comes on board right now to talk with us and give us his thoughts on this. David, what uh, what are you thinking right now? Hey, good morning, Michael. You're breaking up a little bit. I hope I'm not breaking up. No, you're sa- you're sounding. You brought this uh, Go ahead. conversation on this bill. Go ahead, David. Am I? Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can, Yep, I can hear you fine. Okay. Go ahead. Um, you know, Senator Elvie, great. Senator Elvie Gray Jackson, that's the sponsor of this bill to sexualize the kids kindergarten through 12th grade, she should really be ashamed of herself. It, it, it appears as if she supports the government being wards, making your children wards of the state government, and and that's despicable. Uh, this is about parental rights, and provides cover for what is going on already in the Alaska schools, particularly in the Anchorage School District that, that I'm very familiar with, it's going gonna, it's gonna to legalize and legitimize pornographic materials in the schools, gender identity, uh, gen- uh, sexualization of children as young as five years old. And as you, as you uh, very astutely said, it's actually a cam- camouflaged bill. And if, if you don't read the bill very closely or go through the whole thing, you won't know what's going on in this bill until you get towards the last few paragraphs of the bill about sex education. And, and one of the you know peer-reviewed articles and organizations is American Academy of Pediatrics, which has 72,000 members. If you go to their page, you'll find and, and put in the search bar gender identity, you will be 
amazed and probably disgusted about everything they stand for. Gender dysphoria in in talking about it needs to be put into the curriculum in the schools. And another thing that I'm familiar with is the American Academy of Pediatrics believes if it, if if a child quote would like to transition to a different gender, it needs to be kept secret from the parents. Right, right. And by the way, I say that children's medical records or healthcare records should not be available to the parents after the child reaches the age of 12. And I'm, I'm familiar with this because my grandson, whose the father is in the, uh, in the Air Force, the base, pediat- the base pediatrician uh, told them they would not be able to see their son's health care records once he reached the age of 12. And that has been confirmed through another base, uh, actually the Elmendorf Air Force base. Uh, that's so... Why you can't see your child? However, the entire healthcare community has access to them. I mean, this—that's insane. This is a I culture mean, war across. Yeah, no, David, that's nation. that's absolutely insane. That somehow you're a parent, you're responsible for these kids essentially until they're 18, and yet you can't see their healthcare records beyond the age of 12. And yes, I have heard of schools who are encouraging kids to transition while keeping it secret that's, from the parents and everything else. I mean, that's again, that's that's insanity. That's, Why would you want to send your kids to some kind of school like that where they would hide the growth or it, changes it, it, or challenges from them? You, you don't know whether they're, you know, let's let's say a parent is, you know, not close to their children or whatever. You don't know if they're on drugs, but the healthcare community knows that. You don't know if they're sexually active or have sexually uh, sex diseases, but the healthcare community, you know, the clerk in the, in, in the office knows that. The receptionist knows that. They're, they're not supposed to know that, but they also can see those records and they know when the child comes in. Yeah. So it's all about removing the child from the parents. That's are, the bottom uh, line. Are you? That's, are, that's what's going on. Are you, are, you, are you saying that this is already going on in Anchorage, David? You're saying that these kind of programs are already being promulgated in Anchorage and this is just kind of the political cover for it? Yes, exactly, exactly right. They're, they're, giving the, they're giving the education industry the political and legal cover, which they do not have today. Because what they're doing in the schools today, it, it, it's not they're, legally they're not allowed to do that, and they could parents could be filing lawsuits, Chris, from the parents. That's that's against the law as far as I'm concerned. Now it may not, and I think a jury would say the same thing. But this is all of this comes association, the teachers union. The they Nash, have yeah. a 10-page document on how to put transgenderism in schools. Right. And that's the one, for example, that the Anchorage School District has used. And that form that's on there, there's a signature for gender transition, pronouns, etc. that is only signed by the principal and the student. The parent's signature block is nowhere on that document. Right. Well, um, I would uh, I'd love to have a fuller discussion with this uh, about this in the future, because I think this is highly dangerous and I'm seriously concerned about 
uh, this coming into, uh, you know, continuing to be pushed in the schools. And I'm seriously concerned about this bill, giving them the political cover to do so. David, thank you for your call this morning. I appreciate it. Uh, maybe we should work something out to have a further discussion on this. I appreciate you coming on board. Hopefully, uh, the next connection here is going to be a little smoother, folks. I'm sorry about that. The, there's some choppiness on the phone. Let's uh, go over here and take the next call. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Uh, good morning, Michael. It's uh, Representative Calvin Shroggy. How are you? Good morning. How are you, sir? Uh, Michael, I'm having the same problem the last caller did. You're coming through very choppy on the phone line. Okay, I'll tell you what. I'm going to uh, I'm going to shut the phones down, and you can call back, and we'll uh, see if that helps the situation here because uh, it should not be choppy. But it is the internet, so you know that's how uh, voice over IP. That's how some of this stuff works. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to kill the phone systems, and we will uh, we'll start again here, and I'll give you a chance to call back in here in just a moment if you'd like to call in 907-433-3150-433-3150 is the phone number and you can feel free to uh, come on board and uh, join us and talk with uh, talk with us about all the stuff that we want to talk about uh, i'm just getting things uh resituated here um and see if i can uh see if i can get the phones to cooperate this morning uh because man that's that's all we needed to uh all we needed is a of a, a hang up here on the uh on the phone lines again 907-433-3150 uh let's uh let's try this again we'll go over here to the phones and see if uh if uh if this is still representative Tregi. good morning who's this where are you calling from Well, I guess it's just one of those days because it's uh, still no better. Is there a, a different option to call in? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, what we should do is you and I should, because I'm, I have a, some other things to go through this morning. I hadn't heard from you and I wasn't sure if you were going to appear. Uh, if you could just drop me an email and I will schedule you for a full 40 minutes all by yourself on a, on a hard line connection. And we can go from that. If you'd send me an email at me at michaeldukeshow.com, we could do this maybe on Monday morning and uh, kind of go over everything that uh, we should talk about. Um, and that way I can give you the hotline number that we, we usually do it by video interview anyway. So um, if, uh, if you want to drop me an email um, with your phone number or whatever, we can call and work out the details. I'll, I'll do that. Well, while I'm here, I'll just say good morning and good morning to Harold. He's a constituent of mine and I know a, a, a frequent a watcher of your show. So, uh, just good morning, and sorry this doesn't uh, work. Yeah, today. and I'll shoot you an email here soon. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I apologize. I don't. Uh, sometimes there's just ghosts in the machine. Sometimes the gremlins get you, and uh, you can't do anything about it. It's the speed of the internet. Uh, I still haven't set up my new Starlink yet, uh, which is one of my projects that I have going on. I was kind of waiting for everything to. It's kind of waiting for the snow to melt a little bit more, not get more snow before I put it up on my roof and did all that kind of stuff. So thank you for calling in. I appreciate it. Um, I guess that means I'm going to kill the phones because they're obviously not, um, they're not performing well enough today. I don't know if it's GCI or what, but we'll, uh, we'll nuke the phones. We've got Ben Carpenter coming up at the uh, top of the hour. Anyway, this will give me a chance to introduce the next 
or tease at least, I guess, the next segment, which is where we're going to talk about the brand new Senate Bill 88, which is a new defined benefits program, or as Kathy Giesel says, not your grandma's defined benefits. They're trying to say that this is the this is this is the way. That's what they're trying to say. This is the way. Now they have cut some things out of it, which I think make it for at least an interesting discussion. Um, I am still very concerned about defined benefits overrunning the uh, uh, the resources in the state of Alaska in the long run. But they have come out. They have cut out some of the bigger cost centers of defined benefits, including. Uh, offering medical and health care uh, beyond retirement age and and everything else. So this is it's an interesting discussion. I am still not convinced that this is going to be a better way to do things. And there's a couple comments in this uh, a couple a couple uh, you know hot quotes out of this article that I think kind of point the way to what really is going on. And um, I guess we'll I guess we'll chat about that here. In just a uh, in just a few minutes, we'll we'll get we'll get things going. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We'll return with your phone calls, or we'll return with my commentary, not your phone calls. That's what I was trying to say. Right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we are in the break. Got to send a text message back to somebody else here. Um, okay. All right. So we're good to go. We've got all that thing. Ben Carpenter's got the thing. I don't know. My internet, I've got the fastest internet that's available in the state here in the studio. And I have had some of the funkiest problems over the last six months. And, um, I don't know. I've had some weird problems too. All you techno guys out there who are uh, a little techno geeky like me, um, I've also my my network adapter has been. The other day I was doing something and I watched the network adapter recycle and reset itself like five times in a period of about three minutes. So, this motherboard on this computer is about seven years old. I'm thinking that it's probably is probably ready to give up the ghost. It's probably ready to give up the ghost. I do have all new parts to build another computer to stream because I'm using I'm using two computers already, but one of them is older and that's kind of the workhorse. But I mean it's going to be a whole it's a whole weekend worth of work to tear everything out, put everything together, tear it all down, reload all the software. It's a hot hot mess. It's a hot hot mess. So I don't know if it is GCI or if it's on my end, but whatever it is, problematic to say the least. Problematic and frustrating. Okay. Um, going back up here. 
Um, they're claiming that brainwashing children is an education. Meanwhile, kids can't do math in their heads. Or write in cursive. Or read at their grade level. Or whatever it is. Um, status of SB 43 after hearing by Senate Education between 3.30 and 5 p.m. yesterday. Did they vote to move it forward? It did not get voted to move forward. I think is what David says later on. Did not go forward yet. It was held in committee. Next hearing is Monday, March 6th in Senate Education. All right. Um, um, my Billings lady, do we say about the hidden health care records? F that. Yeah, no, I mean, really, if you told me that I couldn't see my child's health care records, I'd immediately pull you out and put somebody else in there. Um. Yeah. Um, guarantee if a charter school opened up the focused on normal education, people do their best to help it succeed. Uh, I don't health care benefit. I don't have health care benefits when I retired. It comes out of my pocket. If it's good enough for me, it's good enough for thee. Oh, I mean, there's a whole slew of problems with that. That's just one of them. Any defined benefit program uh, will attract long-term low-performance employees. Stop the baloney and pay teachers what they're worth. They're all underpaid by at least 30 to 40%. Pay them what they're worth. Give them a defined contribution, and you have a teacher to flying to Alaska like geese in summertime. Time to break out the Starlink. Yeah, no, I, I, it's, I agree, Rob. That's, that's what I should be doing is to break out the Starlink. What did I do? I blew the light behind me. Did I screw something up? There we go. That's better. I like that contrast better. GCI isn't the best. Get fiber. I, if I could get fiber here, that's what I'd be on. If I could get fiber here, that's what I'm. That's what I would be on. I'm on the best two gig whatever that I can get. Um. Uh. No, it's the internet. We have state of the art computer network, and it's GCI. Yeah, I mean it's, it's just so disappointing sometimes the latency and the lag and the up and down. Um, teaching pods were a thing during the pandemic. Family hired teachers. Internet seemed good. It's the phone calls. Well, yeah, internet seems good. It's the phone calls. The phones are run. It's a voice over IP. My phone number is a VoIP phone number. So it runs over the internet. So it, it's a phone call, but it is not the, he said that my side was also crackly, which means that this is not, this is not a phone. This is a microphone. And it runs right through the VoIP back to him. So that's that's what I was saying. Um, Starlink is still problematic, says Willie. Second generation birds are going up. And that's what I'm thinking. That's my problem. I haven't put up the Starlink one because there's still a bunch of snow and I didn't want to set it up and do all that stuff. Second of all, I was waiting for the I was waiting for more satellites to get in orbit because they're still saying that it's dropping. You know, that it'll drop for 10 or 15 seconds at a time. And that's not good when you're trying to do live radio right? That's, that's the thing. It's not good when, you, you know, when it's live radio. Um, no chats available, Jim, question mark. I don't know what you mean, Jim. What is no chats available? I have no idea what that means. Um, GCI soaked the districts for millions. It's good to hear someone mention Starlink. You may need multiple Starlinks, but as the constellation is completed, Starlink will be the go-to provider. Yeah, I mean, that's what I did. I, I was an early adopter. I paid for the unit like three years ago. 
because I wanted to be independent from GCI on this. Here we go. Jumping back in. Right. Uh, welcome back to the program. The Michael Duke Show continues. We got Representative Ben Carpenter going to be joining us here right after the top of the hour. And uh, we're going to be uh, kicking things off uh, with him here in a minute. But I have one more, one more story to go over. And that is the discussion about... Senate Bill 88. Senate Bill 88, which is the new plan that has been introduced and sponsored by Senator Kathy Geisel. It would revamp the public retirement system in the state government. Uh, it would create a new pension plan that would promise state workers predictable payments upon retirement. Now, it's a departure from the retirement plan adopted in 2006, which allows workers to contribute each month to a retirement account, but makes the amount of money available to them upon retirement depend on the success of their investment strategy, which ironically sounds a lot like what the rest of us have, right? The rest of us have a defined contribution plan where we, we define what we're going to contribute and we, you know, hope that our 401ks, our investments, our whatever, do well enough to, you know, support us in our old age. That's the, that's the, that's the goal. Labor groups have said that retirement, uh, that, 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 that the defined benefits retirement plan is a key factor causing working age Alaskans to leave the state and stopping workers from moving to Alaska. A new analysis presented in February by the board managing the public retirement accounts, which is the public, it's the arm, is the uh, arm board? That's what it is, right? Retirement Management Board, Alaska Retirement Management Board. The new analysis presented in February by the board managing public retirement accounts found that most public employees covered by that plan do not have enough savings for retirement because you're not contributing enough. I mean, this is the same. Here's this is what kills me. This is what absolutely kills me about this. We have to do the same math when we look at these things and say, how much are we putting away for retirement? How much are we, you know, how much are we putting away for retirement? We have to look at that ourselves when we're, you know, we're out here in the big bad world in the private sector. We have to decide, are we putting enough away so that we're, you, you constantly have to, and as you get closer to retirement age, you should be checking it more frequently. And, but they, they say, well, this is most public employees covered by that plan do not have enough savings for retirement. Well, then they're not contributing enough. I mean, does, does the state, I mean, is this mandate that the state has to do it for them? Does mommy need to hold your hand? Does mommy need to give you a cookie to make sure that you're, 
I mean, I'm not trying to be mean to the state employee. I'm just saying this kind of argument makes me think that. What, we have to have, it has to be nanny stated? They can't plan for their own retirement? Are you saying that these people don't have the wherewithal to plan for a retirement? Well, we should just give them whatever money they need because uh, that'll keep them here. Uh, What? I mean, members of the bipartisan Senate majority, according to the ADN, say that the 2006 move from what is called a defined benefits pension plan to a 401k-style defined contributions plan has contributed to difficulties in recruiting all manner of state workers, including teachers, bus drivers, attorneys, administrators, biologists, prison guards, police officers, firefighters, and heavy equipment operators. The problem is, is that defined benefits programs across the United States have been going away because they are unsustainable. In fact, several of the largest defined benefits programs for private industries had to be bailed out by the federal government because they were so upside down, they would have destroyed the companies. I'm talking like Delta Airlines and General Motors. They both had to be bailed out of defined benefits programs. So, you know, is it is it really that? Is it really, you know, it used to be that that when, you know, back in the back in the day when dirt was new. And they were creating these plans and packages for public employees where they got, uh, you know, they had these really, really Cadillac kind of gold plated benefits packages in retirements and health cares and things like that. They used to justify that by saying, well, you know, uh, the reason that they're getting this is because they are getting a lower salary or standard wage as opposed to those people in the private sector. They're getting a much lower wage. And what we've seen, of course, over the intervening years is that that wage has now crept up in many cases, not all. I mean, there's some professions, there's some attorneys, and there's some different sections out there where you can make more money in the private sector. But for the most part, the majority of it, they are making as much or more in salary as their private sector counterparts, and they get the gold-plated benefit package on top of it. So this is a return trying, this is a return to that, um, to that kind of ideology of it's a set it and forget it. We'll just give you the money and it just takes all the work off of you and it just unburdens you from having to worry about your own future because we've done it for you. Now, kudos need to be laid out there where kudos are due. They have taken out some of the things in this bill because this is the first time we're seeing some of the specifics of what is being proposed. Um, And one of the biggest cost factors that drove the first round of defined benefits programs was, of course, the cost of health care, because they just had no idea, especially in the late 90s, going into the early aughts, they had no idea what was going on with health care. It was the costs were just, you know, doubling and tripling and the actuarials just they could not keep up. And that was one of the things that led to this multi-billion dollar unfunded liability 
is because they had not accounted for the cost of health care to skyrocket to the case of what it did. So one of the things that this bill does, which, again, um, a, a very, uh, uh, again, I need to give props where props are due. The new tier would not include health insurance for workers upon retirement, leaving them dependent on savings and Medicare once they stopped working. Uh, employee contributions amounts could be adjusted by the board, the ARM board, if the stock market sees a downturn. So if the stock market sees a downturn, then there would be an increase because of the return. You know, I mean, it's adjustable is what it's saying, which, again, another good thing. Kudos for that. And it would allow the board to withhold inflation adjustments to retiree payments if the plan is less than 90% funded. I think those are all three of those are fantastic idea. If we have to have, if this is the, if this is the final form of the bill, then those three things definitely would put some real, you know, harnesses and governors on the runaway growth of what a defined benefits plan could be. But I'm still not convinced that it's going to actually be better or save us money. I'm still not convinced that it won't increase because. They're going to offer this to every employee out there, including those who are on defined contributions right now. Um, and I have seen no fiscal notes on any of this yet. I haven't even looked at that yet. I'm, we're going we're gonna to have to go down. We're going to have to do a deep dive on this. But what really gets me is that it's this idea that somehow everybody else in the state, all the private citizens, all the, all the private sector workers, we're basically on our own. I mean, we're lucky if our if our employer does a matching contribution to our 401k, right? I mean, we're we're lucky if that happens. But we're on our own for managing our own retirement. And we've got nobody to blame but ourselves, and I'm looking at myself on this, if I don't do it right. If you don't plan enough, if you look at it, I mean, if you reach retirement age and go, "Boy, I don't have enough to I I should have checked it sooner." I should have been putting more away. I should have been living more within my means. I should have created a side hustle. I should have invested it in some other things. Maybe I should have changed my investments around. But to say that, well, the public employees, they're a special breed of cat, and they need just a defined, you know, that you just need to give them a lump sum every month no matter what. I mean, that's, first of all, it's insulting to everybody who's working in the private sector. I mean, it's good enough for us, but it's not good enough for you. You guys need the better, the gold-plated thing. Second of all, there's no guarantee that it won't overrun, just like we've seen time and time and time again across the country with defined benefits. It overrun the system. And the fact that, you know, again, we haven't seen any fiscal notes. The one in the House got, uh, I mean, it got pushed through. Without it, they basically the 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 uh, Josephson basically rolled the chair, uh, and and you know hoodwinked the chair into getting it out. It didn't have a fiscal note attached to it. It's going to another committee now. I don't know if it's going to actually be seen. If it's not, that's fine with me. But I would like to see some actual hard numbers and have it analyzed. But I will say again, credit where credits due, that the removal of the health. Uh, of the healthcare component 
the fact that they allow the arm board to adjust the contribution amount if the market takes a turn and allowing the board to withhold inflation adjustments if it's not fully funded, those are those are three good things in this bill. If for some if if it was to be able to make it all the way through, those three things would go a long way to stopping uh, a lot of the runaway uh, liability that we're seeing. I mean, we're still still seven billion dollars, folks. We still owe seven billion dollars from a plan that was cut down a year uh, uh, fifteen years ago. That's where we're at right now. All right, we got to go. Representative Ben Carpenter is up next. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Okay. Um, let me get caught up uh, in the chat room here to see what you guys have to say. And we'll uh, I'll get I'll get I'll get back to it here. Uh, Willie Keppel says Starlink is problematic. Second generation birds are going up. Yeah, I mean, that's again, that was been the cutout when things are cutting out. That's what I, I want to see. I want to see that some of that, you know, the cutouts and the latency and the dropouts going on. Jim says on YouTube, you can't comment. Well, this comment on the screen right here is Willie, who's commented on YouTube. You can comment on YouTube. There might be something wrong from your end, Jim. Because there's plenty of comments on YouTube right now. Um, is fiber down KGB? I don't think so. I don't think there is fiber down K, uh, KGB. Um, but uh, I don't know. Do you know if the state has conducted an independent survey of its employees to really assess retention and hiring issues? Before we have any discussion about solutions, especially any solution proposed by a politician. Right. A lot of the times, uh, from what I'm understanding, most people who leave jobs, it's not about retirement. It's about working environment or it's about current base salary. So maybe that's something we need to, you know. Um, uh, let's see. Government leads to learn to compete for workers. Um, Giesel is a nurse practitioner. Yes, uh, Guy, David, she didn't come to mind. Uh, even the military uh, no longer has a full defined benefits program, says Kevin. Yeah, I mean, they've been they've been sourcing away from that for years. For years. Uh, people are leaving because Alaska's economy is in a ditch. The legislators have absorbed all the money to promote bigger government, and they've canned the private sector, accepting large corporations interests, large corporate interests. Yeah. Um, I'm going to it. Robbie says, my biggest mistake was trusting government Social Security. Yeah, I mean, they've already said that, I mean, I'm not going to be eligible. I mean, I'm going to be eligible, but the whole system is going to run out of money right about the time that I hit the eligible age. So, <laughs> oops. I contributed all these years, and oops, sorry. Sucks to be you. 
Um, federal governments do not have a defined benefit plan as, as of 1986. The reason was it was unsustainable. Um, uh, all right, man, you guys have been, you guys have been verbose, verbose this morning. All right, let's, uh, let's get things ready and jump into it here. Ben Carpenter, I can see him in the green room. And we need to get things ready to rock and roll for uh, the coming hour. So we'll go over here and get started. Uh, good morning, sir. How are you? I get myself unmuted here. I'm doing very well. Oh, good morning. Well, thanks for coming in. Let me adjust you just slightly because you're loud and proud this morning. Let me pull you down just a little bit. And we'll try that again. Everything good down there? That's not. Good morning. Is it better sound now? Yeah, a little bit better. I got it. I got it a little bit better. Um, I feel like I'm too tall, though. I should get down here with you. I'm too too, too tall. Get it up there. Um, all right. So we all ready to dive into this? How how are things been going down there in Big uh, Juno Town? The bubble, the terrarium of Juno. Yeah, staying busy, fighting yeah. the social socialist ideologies here. Yeah, I know. I can't imagine. It, it must have been quite a shock to jump from the minority where you're scrambling around trying to find things to do and ways to kind of stick your nose into the business to you're in the majority now. Here's all your committees. Go. Uh, it must have been quite a quite a, a, a change of pace. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, it's good. It's, it's good to be busy and it's good to be uh, doing things that I want to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, you're looking, uh, looking good, feeling good, sounding good. Let's, uh, I'll put you back into the green room and we will, uh, we will hold back for just a minute and, uh, we'll come back to you. Why did I lose my, why did I lose my, uh, my background? I don't know why. Oh, there it is. Okay. I got it. Sorry. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll be back to you here in just a minute. Uh, we're going to continue with Ben Carpenter, who is our guest representative down from the, uh, Peninsula, also chair of the Ways and Means Committee, uh, which has been tasked this year with creating a, you know, putting together some kind of long-term fiscal plan, which, uh, as we said earlier, is in part being uh, framed off of or utilizing components of the fiscal policy working group plan to try and inform that long-term plan, which I think is, I think is good. I think that is good. Um, all right, down to the, down to the last, uh, down to the last minute here, Kevin McCabe, you're on the right track. What did Kevin say that, uh, uh, I'm just looking back to see what Kevin said that maybe, um, okay. I, I hate it that in my unified chat where I can see all the chats at once, I can't see the reply views. So sometimes you guys say something that I have absolutely no context for, and you're talking to somebody else and I don't know which comment you're commenting on. But <clears throat> that's that's life. That's what all the people say. All right, we're going to uh, jump back into it. Here we go. Please be sure to like and share if you uh, haven't gone to YouTube yet. I'm sure Representative Carpenter has gone to YouTube and liked me on YouTube. Uh, if you haven't gone to YouTube yet, hit the like button or the subscribe button and ring the bell. Subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube. We'll get it all going on. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio.
Oh, buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. That's right, across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator. It is The Michael Dukes Show. Good morning and welcome to it. Thanks for coming in and joining us. Hour two of the big radio broadcast today for Thursday. And I should take that off the screen. We're going to be joined here right now, uh, in fact, by our guest for today, uh, who is Representative Ben Carpenter down there in the uh, in the Nikiski Southern Peninsula area. He is the legislator uh, for the House down there. He is also the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, getting ready to be in the uh, he's in the majority now. Uh, first time around, getting ready to get some stuff done, and they have been tasked with a monumental job. That job is to create a long-term fiscal plan for the state to deal with all the problems that we're having right now. Uh, ben Carpenter joins us this morning to discuss. Good morning, Representative. Good morning. And I, and I just have to tee this off to say that I've added one thing. I've taken the liberty to add one thing. Okay. A long-term fiscal plan has also got to uh, address our economic growth. Economic growth. I think that that was, that was part of the, the messaging that was missed with the fiscal policy working group. That you can't get to a solution, a long-term solution in the state without addressing economic growth. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can't disconnect. I mean, this is a big point that we've been making on the program lately. You cannot disconnect the public economy and the private economy. You've get, They've got to be intertwined. You've got to have economic growth in the private economy to be able to justify the works and the deeds of the public economy, right? Yeah. And, and as you hear the conversations going on about defined benefits and uh, BSA increases, there's no conversation that says, hey, do we have an economy that can pay for this? Because the obvious answer is no. Right. The only way we're going to pay for it is by taking the permanent fund dividend. Right. Exactly. Well, let's uh, let's let's start. Let's get started on this path, then, uh, Representative. Uh, you just kind of laid out by adding one more thing. Let's uh, let's take a look at this. Uh, you know, start me off fresh. Like, talk to me like I'm five, as they say on the internet. Um, let's uh, let's start off with this plan of, of the long term fiscal plan. Where are we going from here? Yeah, so uh, exactly. So we started a, a uh, opened a can of worms last night by uh, hearing one of the uh, PFD, PFD bills that are before the House and are, are sitting in Ways and Means right now. And on the uh, 6th of March, we will hear a few more bills, uh, different ideas on, on how to solve the, the PFD problem. And uh, so we're, we're going to discuss it. And then, uh, let's see, we're going to take public testimony on that on the 8th of March. 
And then on the 11th of March, we're going to have a conversation about spending limits. We've got a couple of spending limit bills that are before. Okay, so those are those are two components of the fiscal policy working group recommendations of the report that we're going to continue the conversation in ways and means. Uh, Representative Ben Carpenter is our guest. Sorry there, I dropped out for a second. Uh, Representative, uh, I mean, this has been a problem for years, right? I mean, this is not a new issue. I mean, we're facing a crisis right now, a fiscal crisis for sure. But the problem that we've had in this state for years going back to that first payment in 1969 is that we've had no long-term plan. We're like, the money's there, we spend it. If the money's not there, we panic. When the money's there, we spend it. When the money's not there, we panic. It's this cycle of back and forth and everything else. There hasn't been any long-term fiscal plan to speak of uh, beyond the next, maybe the next election cycle, right? Yeah, I guess I would say that the status quo, doing nothing, is kind of a plan. I mean, it's a, a real lazy plan, but there are members um, of the public and, and members of the body here that think that if we just keep going down the road that we're going and exhaust the PFD to government spending, and and so that the that the results of that is that the the entire amount of the POMV draw, the the earnings from the permanent fund, are funding government, and that is the plan. That is the only plan that is in effect right now, is to just fund state government off of investment earnings from the from the um, permanent fund. I don't know if that includes uh, a continuation of oil um, revenue for the state. That that's kind of a, a separate but related conversation. But that is that is the long term plan that some are are positing as as what's best for our state, right? Let's just right. spend all of the permanent fund earnings on state government, and that and you can see that. I mean, there's there's no stopping the appetite of state spending. You can look at the 06 to 2013 binge. You can look at what happened in the budget last year. Right. You can look at you can look at the bills and how they're being structured now, where where we're setting aside um, a smaller PFD in order to get defined benefits and and um, ERA. I'm sorry, a BSA increase. Right. It's that's the narrative that's been created. It's it's a socialist ideology to say we just need to have all of this government this money go to government spending. And we're not even going to talk about what it does to the economy or the private sector jobs and the people, because largely it doesn't really matter, right? Right. It's all investment earnings. The people that are back home, they don't they don't care. Right. I think this is ultimately why why we have to have a PFD. You have to force a PFD to be paid because otherwise government is going to grow at the size of the permanent fund and the people are not going to care about it. Right. Well, they'll so be... we're going to eventually get into a, into a situation where our state is as large as the permanent fund and, and oil re- revenues will grow your government. Right. Well, and it's I mean, they want it. It's almost like they want it siloed. So it's not in control of the people. So it is in control of the political class, the special interests, the crony capitalists. I mean, that's that's kind of the thing. It's like they we don't want to have to deal with the people, so we'll just take all the money from the permanent fund earnings themselves, and that way we don't have to fight over it anymore, and we can do what we want to do. But the problem with that is, is that as you just pointed out, and as we've seen since statehood, this state has never seen a dollar that it didn't like to spend, and it didn't ever you know, think even beyond that. So my fear has always been that, yes, you're right, they'll take the permanent fund. 
and they'll start drawing directly off and taking all the earnings and funding them into government every year directly off the permanent fund itself, plus the oil monies. And then my fear is it still won't be enough. And then they'll come back to us. And you saw this in the piece by Zach Fields earlier this week, this opinion piece. Went, Alaska, we don't pay any taxes. We don't pay any taxes. And you can see the next morphing of that argument would be, well, you know, all these other states pay taxes and you guys aren't paying your fair share. You aren't paying your way. And so now we need a state tax on top of it because you should be paying your fair share for all this stuff that we're providing you. The government will consume all the permanent fund earnings, and then it will come asking for more. That is just that's just a fact of life. It's an economic uh, reality. It's the nature of it's the nature of government, right? I mean, that's the nature of government in and of itself. Nature of government. Yeah, yeah. And what what really scares me is that we've got a a situation now where where some members say, "Hey, you know what? We just need to transfer all of the money of the earnings reserve into the corpus protected because the legislature might spend it. Let's just get rid of the ERA, right?" We're going to, the, the ultimate goal is to protect the permanent fund, all right? But a 5% market value draw, 5%, that um, coupled with uh, high inflation and low returns, year after year returns, there was a section of, of uh, about 10 years where the permanent fund earnings didn't reach the, their own benchmark, right? So we have another 10 years where we have low returns uh, from earnings of the permanent fund, and your 5% market value structure, the way that you set this up, will, it will dip into the corpus of the permanent fund. Right. You will pay for BSA, you will pay for defined benefits, and you will pay for state government from the corpus of the permanent fund if you have high inflation and um, low. low returns. Yeah. You, we've got to find a way, This the 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 ERA is basically standing in the way right now because if we were to, to draw too much money out for a 5% draw, there wouldn't be any money left in the ERA and then you wouldn't, you wouldn't have any more money to spend on government. And so that's a challenge for us is how do we, how do we keep funding government when there's no money in the ERA? Right. We've taken too much out. Well, that's a good thing for us because if we get rid of the ERA, then we'll just dip into the corpus. That's, that's the reality of what's going to happen. Which, quite honestly, I've been warning about for 15 years because I said that is the target. The ultimate target is to be able to get their hands in the major cookie jar, which is the corpus of the fund. Because then if they had $80 billion to play with, well, then the sky's the limit. They could do all the pie-in-the-sky things that they want to do. Exactly. It. So we're going, to have a, we're going to have a conversation about long-term fiscal plan. We're going to take the BSA increase and in the defined benefits plan and we're going to model that out with uh, current options options that we're going to be discussing on on uh, things that we could do pfd uh, solutions uh, constitutional uh, solutions or um, spending limit solutions new revenue ideas we're going to we're going to model all of that to see how it relates to each other because we're not talking about how the relationship and the long-term impacts on any one of these single dis- decisions your, your bsa right. conversation is being had in a vacuum of all of the other um, factors within state budget and, and long-term implications. Well, isn't that a reoccurring rhetoric-based fiscal policy? Yeah, I mean, isn't that a reoccurring problem though? I mean, it didn't. The fiscal policy working group addressed that. They said with their, I think it's eight different things, right? That they talked about. Is it eight? I think that different things that they talked about. 
they said you can't take any one of these in isolation. It's got to be holistic. The plan that we're laying out includes all of these things, new oil taxes, uh, uh, you know, some kind of maybe state revenue and a sales tax, uh, putting the PFD into the Constitution, putting a spending cap in, all the, all the things that you talked about that this very disparate group of people with those on the far left, those on the far right, those in the middle, they all came together and unanimously said, we've got to do these things and we can't do them one at a time. We have to do it holistically. The problem is, is they continue to try and take these things out in isolation and 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 not not tackle them head on. Like the spending cap, one of the criticisms from Representative Grow was, well, this is just one part of that plan. There's none of these other. Well, but I don't see Representative Grow proposing another part of the plan so that you had all these legislators proposing these six, seven, eight different parts and bringing it together in one bill. I don't see that. That's part of the problem, right? Yeah. And I don't know whether we can get to having everything in one bill. That that might be too hard, too much of a hurdle. But we can whittle it down to a couple bills, a few bills, maybe three or four bills. The the challenge is communicating how these all relate to each other in in a plan, in a, in a um, what they do, what the effect is on state government, on our budget system, right. on the, the politics within the within the building. Right? If if you're going to put a spending limit in place that limits spending at, um, you know, statutorily limits spending at, at a certain dollar figure. And then you give them a, give the legislature the ability, ability to spend above that with a, a two thirds vote, then you're setting yourself up for a situation like we have with the, with the uh, CBR vote at the end of the year. You, you always use that vote as leverage to get something done. So our, the, the, it's maybe a, to, to have the conversation, but but I think that some of the, the spending limit options that we have are setting ourselves up for a different political challenge if they were to pass than what we really realize. Uh, Representative Ben Carpenter is our guest. We're coming up against the break. When we come back, I'd like for Representative Carpenter to give us a little bit of a refresher on the findings of the fiscal policy working group and how he's going to fold, you know, first give us kind of the points, quick talking points on it, and then how we're going to fold that into a long-term plan for us here in the state of Alaska for our long-term fiscal plan. Representative Ben Carpenter is our guest. We're going to continue with him here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show continues. Your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Representative Van Carpenter, our guest here uh, on the program. Uh, did he give a bill number? No, I don't think we've had a bill number discussed yet, Christine. We're still. Uh, I think they're still working through that. I mean, do you guys have a bill in process here, Ben, on this whole thing? Or are you do something that people can review? Uh, or are you still yeah. in the fact-finding process? No, I've got um, I've got several bills before Ways and Means right now. Um, we just heard, uh, let me see here, I'm looking at a list. We just heard HB 72, which is a permanent fund dividend bill. That's what we talked about last night. 
We've got another permanent fund dividend bill that's HB90. Um, HDR seven and eight are uh, PFD bills. There's one other uh, bill, HB45, which is a uh, PFD bill. It's PFD related. It allows people to um, put their PFD or a portion of their PFD back to state government if they choose. We've That's, got constitutional we, we, amendment we, we, um, legislation that we'll be talking about, and those are um, HGR 2 and HB 38. Those are the bills that are sitting in, in ways and means. And there'll be other bills coming forward that, that aren't, haven't derived to it. That, that H, we'll be talking H, about here HB 45, we call that the Randy bill. So that if you want to turn your dividend back over to the state, you can do it. There's a mechanism for doing that, right? HB 45. Yeah, that's, right. that's the Randy yep. bill. Thank you, Randy, for, uh, for yeah. staying the course. Put up or shut up. Yes. Yeah, stay in the course. Stay in the course. <laughs> um, uh, in, we're in the break right now, Ben. So like, give me... I know that there's probably been some pushback on some of the things that you're doing. And, and of course, uh, I, I find it ironic that the news media and the minority, um, well, first of all, that the minority has kind of a control or a foot in the door with the news media, because we see all this whining in the headlines uh, about how they're so unhappy that the majority hasn't, you know, put a plan together, that they haven't... Uh, they bemoan the lack of action on school funding and they, you know, all this kind of stuff. And uh, I think, is it is it more of a case that they just don't like the direction you're taking and they call it not having a plan? Or is it, you know, give me give me a little bit of the uh, feeling for the slapback that you're getting on this. <laughs> I was in the minority for four years. Where was the plan then? Exactly. Well, that's that's the thing. This is what kills me. They keep going on and on about the BSA. It's been underfunded. It's been... You guys were in the majority for six years and you didn't even really bring this up. Now, all of a sudden, it's a crisis point because somebody else is in. Oh, it's a crisis point now. I mean, you had the opportunity to open the BSA and to discuss it and did. And there were a few things that were done. But you never treated it like, oh, now. But now, now that somebody else is in charge, it's a crisis because they're not dealing with it. Yeah. Well, I'm not. Honestly, I'm not too concerned, and I don't pay attention to what the, the press is saying out there. I mean, it it happens, and then I hear about it, but it isn't influencing what I'm doing. Um, right. I I know what my task is. I am to uh, put together some sort of a options for a fiscal plan for the legislature to choose from. I, I can't force them to choose it, but I'm going to do my best to, to provide the options and, and what I think is um, good for the state and possible within the building. And 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 that's what I'm going to do. And uh, it takes time to do that. There's a lot of things going on down here. And it is, it is a uh, very monumental task to keep people focused on priorities. And if, if the fiscal plan is a priority, is solving the structural deficit that we have every year when oil is low, if that is a priority, then we're going to stay focused in ways and means. And I'll let whatever nonsense is happening outside, outside the committee uh, happen. And we're going to keep focused on this. And at the, at the end, we'll have uh, some plans or some options for people to choose from. And uh, I, would, I would just say it takes, it takes time. Um, Good legislation takes time. We can't rush through it. You see, you piece, see pieces of legislation that sit in the committee and then and are are rushed out in a hurry. Um, you ought to question that. 
Right. Uh, did you say, uh, I got about 20 seconds here. Did you say that you guys are doing some fiscal analysis of both the BSA increase and the defined benefits? Are you guys breaking yeah. that up? Yeah. Um, I, I'm, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll hold up the bell. The bell rules us today. Uh, hold the line. Uh, ben Carpenter, our guest, the Michael Duke show continues common sense, Liberty based free thinking radio. Let's do it. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. Yes, pain in the you-know-what. Hey, it's the Michael Duke show. We are continuing now with Ben Carpenter, our guest uh, on the program, representative down from the Southern Peninsula, who is also, of course, chair of the Ways and, uh, Ways and Means Committee. Uh, who has been tasked by the majority in the House with creating a long-term fiscal plan that can be pushed out for the rest of the legislature to go over and decide. And, of course, some of the framework, some of the base work of that comes out of the report and the plan that was produced by the Fiscal Policy Working Group, which I think we need a brief refresher on, Ben, of some of those points that they said that they needed, and then a description of how you're trying to fold some of those points into the overall uh, the overall plan. Yeah, so I've got the, the fiscal policy working group report um, pulled up here. You can also, I, I think I've got it posted on my website from last year or maybe two years ago when it came out, um, uh, bencarpenterpost.com. You can go there and find it. But, um, so first recommendations, a constitutional single account permanent fund structure withdraws limited by a percent, percent of market value draw. That's that's the the five percent of POMV uh, draw that we're that is currently in statutes as well as the old twenty one percent of net earnings. So move to that model, right? Constitutional certainty for PFD, meaning there's got to be a uh, a constitutional protection that the PFD does get paid. Uh, new POMV based formula, a healthy capital budget is also part of the part of the um, recommendation. New revenues was part of the recommendation. Uh, budget reductions was part of the recommendation. Spending limit reform and a, a transition period. Don't try to do this all in one year. We need we need some stability and some predictability in the in the um, economy. We need something that's resilient to fiscal stress. So it's got to be durable for the long term. And the last recommendation was the reform of the constitutional budget reserve. Um, you know the we owe. $16 billion to the CBR, and there's a, a three-quarter vote that has to happen every year, and this causes problems within the within the legislature. So there was some um, feeling amongst the fiscal policy working group members that we needed to address that. So those, in a nutshell, real high level, and the, the headings on the recommendations are what the fiscal policy working group um, created. And in ways and means, I've just kind of summarized this to say that we've got to We've got to solve the PFD problem. We've got to um, address a constitutional spending limit or a, uh, you know, the, there's no real way to put a statutory spending limit in, in place and have the appropriations process listen to it. Right. So it's got to have some sort of constitutional teeth. Right? right. And that's also what the fiscal policy working group recommended. Right. So then, then we talk about um, efficiencies and, and good governance. What, what can we put in place long term with management policies and 
um, how, how we communicate between the executive and the legislature that enables us to get to a better, leaner government. How, how what does that look like is something that we're going to look at. Um, we'll, we'll talk about uh, um, budget reductions. We'll talk about um, new revenue sources, right? We've got, I'm sure we will see some tax bills. I'm sure that we will see, well, we've got the governor's bills that talk about carbon uh, capture and carbon sequestration. And I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm skeptical on that right now. It's uh, right. It it's, seems to be a a case of uh, what my parents told me: uh, don't uh, listen to get which get rich quick schemes. Yeah, it's what my grandfather used to call the if come, right? You've yeah, got income right. and you've got the if come, and it seems yeah. like we're betting an awful lot on the if come on that for sure. The the reality in that regard is that some people in this world want to pay us money to do nothing with our trees or to put carbon dioxide down in the ground. And, and that's all that we would be doing. It's not like we're locking up the, grant, the, the land because that would be in the contract. We would never allow that arrangement to lock up our land that we couldn't do something with it in the future, right? There's consensus on that. Right. So the, the question is, is if you can control this so that we, we don't have any negatives, then do we take the quick money in the short term? Right. That's basically exactly. that's basically what it is. And and I think that that we'll do I'm gonna do my best to communicate what the long term implications are for following through with carbon um carbon plans. And there's obviously worldwide political implications here that have to be uh, taken into consideration. Absolutely. I think one of your key points is the fact about the constitutional protection of some of these things, because as you mentioned, <clears throat> a statutory spending cap has no teeth whatsoever. Uh, even if you put in a percentage where it has to be a three quarters vote or a two thirds vote or whatever it is, I mean, it really doesn't matter because the legislature has shown an utter disdain for statute for years. Uh, I mean, whether it's the 90 day limit, whether it's the whether it's the PFD, they have just blatantly decided that they can go buy it. These things have to be they have to have some constitutional teeth in them because it's the only way that it will force the legislature to face the facts that. They can't continue to spend more money than they take in and and have it continue. It, but mathematically, you know, math is hard, but arithmetic don't lie, right? Yeah, yeah Michael, it's it's just one one uh, one peg in the in the board that needs to be put in place to help stabilize our um, state spending, the the imbalance that we have, and to. Um, improve the conditions for economic growth in the state of Alaska. Nobody wants to come into the state of Alaska to, um, you know, from a business perspective and invest because we're, we're not attractive. We're not attractive. We got the ninth highest corporate income tax rate in the, in the nation. Right. So right off the bat, if you're, if you're somebody with wealth or means and you see an opportunity in the state, you're going to do a, an analysis that says, you know what, this, this, these conditions are just not good enough. You know, the high cost of energy is is a, a problem, and the the outward migration of the population is a problem, and the the poor results in this education system are a problem. That's why we were. That's why these are. That's why we were ranked what forty ninth now, or we ranked like forty ninth or forty eighth in in business environment in the state of Alaska. I mean, we're down at the bottom of the pile. That's it. And we're, and we're talking in this legislature right now, we're talking about BSA increases and defined benefits as if that's going to have a positive impact on economic growth. 
It won't. It's going to increase the cost of government to whoever the taxpayer is. And right now that's the permanent fund and it's uh, oil companies and, and corporate interests. So we're, we're headed the wrong direction, continuing to grow and, and add burden to the taxpayers with um, policies for state government without setting conditions for economic growth is, is, uh, is headed the wrong direction. It's short-sighted and it is not what Alaskans are expecting the legislature. Uh, we're talking, uh, of course, with Ben Carpenter, who is the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. So, Ben, where are we at in the process right now? Walk us through, you know, where we're at. Uh, we're what? We're a month into the legislative session now, just over a month, six, five weeks, something like that. Where are we in the process and where do we go? You know, w- what are the next steps and how can citizens who are concerned about the fiscal prospects in the state and all the things we just talked about, business environment and everything else, how can we help? So it's a kind of a two-part question, but first, where are we in the process and where are we going? Okay, so if you're asking, where is the legislature, where is the House focused right now? I would have to say that, that the, the main thing that has to happen is pass a budget. And we are finishing up the process, the subcommittee, finance subcommittee process, where, it, where all of the members have um, an opportunity to, to kind of scrutinize the, the budget, the governor's budget. And uh, here within the next couple of weeks, that process will conclude. And then the House Finance team will take up a committee substitute for the governor's budget, and they will discuss that budget. And that, that discussion will also include public testimony. So the next, um, next budget-related uh, influence that the people have is participating in that public testimony period. And you can either call in during the period that is uh, established and having sat on finance for four years, I know that there'll be multiple days to be able, well, there should be multiple days to be able to call in, but you can also email and those emails get uh, forwarded to the, the finance committee members. And so that's that's a way to influence. In ways and means, we're going to continue the long-term picture. And, and I, I like to think that the budget to be a reflection of the long-term plan that the legislature is going to put into place. So I'm, I'm hoping that the two kind of work together and to the best of our ability, that's what we're going to do. But I'm going to have public testimony period within House Ways and Means to be able to do that, to, to hear from the public as to what their their um, opinions are on the, on the components of a, a fiscal plan. So the first opportunity for, for testimony in, in Ways and Means is going to be the 8th of March. And my, my Ways and Means committee meetings are being held at 6 p.m. Monday and Wednesday nights to be able to um, have people participate. Yeah, You get off work, you get dinner done, and then you can put us in the background, poke one eye, poke, poke your finger in one eye and, and listen to a, a, a boring conversation. Well, but I mean, I think but that's important, right? Well, I, ad- I, you know what? I admire that, Ben, because, I mean, how many times have I heard there's this important bill? And we're going to take public testimony on it on a Tuesday at 1 p.m. And I'm like, who's got to, I mean, whose boss is going to allow them to pop the phone up and sit there on hold waiting to be t- to testify or to hear the thing for two or three hours? Who's going to let them do that? I mean, that's just, you know, I applaud you for moving the, the times on this. Uh, of these meetings so that people can participate. I mean, that that is a, that's a fantastic deal. It's obvious that you want that public participation. Yeah, we're, we're going to have a, a joint Ways and Means 
House Education Committee meeting. We're working the details out now, but we're going to have a conversation about the options that are being presented in ways uh, in uh, education and how they how they play out in a, a long-term fiscal plan. But that's that's in the works. We're gonna we're gonna think outside the box here and have a have a conversation that's a little bit broader than just one specific bill and kind of see how it relates. So uh, I, I also intend to have uh, some public testimony uh, opportunities on a on a weekend on a Saturday morning probably right that will allow people to participate as well because I think that's re- it's really important. No, I uh, I think it is. I think the public participation is important. It's one of the reasons why one of the charter of changes is to change the venue for the legislature to move the session onto the road system because. People, I think, deserve to have that participation in person. I think they deserve to come in and be able to stand in their legislator's office and say, we need to do this, we need to do that. I think that that's important, and I think that's one of the things that we're missing in our current system is that we don't have the ability. And it makes a huge difference. I mean, if you're a legislator and you're sitting there hearing uh, testimony on a bill and it's just over the phone i mean your eyes have glazed over you can't but if the people are standing in front of you looking at you pointing at you talking to you directly that's a powerful powerful thing yeah i agree i, I wish that it was in the power of the legislature and I, I say that it's in the power but it's not in the political will um wish it was in the political will of the legislature to to move to the roads I think yeah. that we would find better results if that were the case, but um, it, it's just not. It's just not possible. They're politically feasible, right? I know it's it's in, and it, and there's a lot of pressure and pushback because some of those people don't want. They're happy in the bubble. They're happy only being seen by special interests and uh, uh, you know nonprofits and lobbyists and those people who uh, governmental non governmental agencies and things like that who are being paid essentially to go down there and do that. A lot of times with government money to go down and beg for more government money. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's it's pretty astonishing. Um, we got one final segment coming up with Representative Ben Carpenter, who's the chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. Uh, we're going to continue with him here in just a second. And so we will um, we'll continue. How about that? We'll, we'll do that right after this. I was going to look at the time, but... I don't want to push the clock, so we will continue. One final segment. We'll let uh, Representative Carpenter wrap up. What can we do? How can we participate? How can we make it better? And I also want to talk about the timeline on this because I have a feeling this is going to be more than a single single year, if you know what I mean. We'll continue with more. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. If you can't have fun while you're doing it, why do it at all? That's what I say. That's what I say. Representative Ben Carpenter uh, comes in. Um <laughs> I just can't imagine the sea change that it's been, uh, uh, Ben, since uh, since you got there the first time, and now where you're at today. Uh, give us some behind the scenes baseball here. What what uh, you know? 
What are some of your biggest surprises as you've taken over now in the majority after being in the minority for so long and kind of, you know, you're that kid in the glass with your nose stuck on the glass looking in. Uh, Give us some of the biggest surprises and some of the biggest uh, uh, positives. Yeah. um, I'm not sure that I'm surprised by much at this point, but um, I guess some of the positives, right? We've got a bunch of new people both in my caucus and in and just in the legislature in general. And things run a lot slower when you're new and don't know for sure what's going on. So some of the, some of the, uh, I don't know, what you might think is uh, things aren't happening fast enough is just due to the fact that we're learning how to, we're all, you know, we're not even 60 days into the session for some people who, this is their first session and they're now their majority. So there's a, there's a steep learning curve. Right. And we're doing our best now. The the huge positive is that there's there is uh, drama behind the scenes, but there's not the amount of drama that has that has been in the last four years I've been. We are doing a much better job than I, I think behind the scenes on managing and solving um, interpersonal relationship problems and and um, just just management issues of of moving forward and governing than what I saw happen in the last couple. Of so that that in my I don't know that I'm surprised by that, but that's what I'm most proud of. That we are we are able to work through our differences and work together. And of course, you know, we've we've only really passed one bill and we haven't really got into the hard discussions yet. But we've set a very good foundation for being able to weather the storms that are coming with the, the hard discussion. So I, I think that's um that's what I'm I'm proud of, our team and, and our folks down here, that we're able to do that. Well, and I think it's good that we have a fresh batch of legislators to, you know, who get a taste of this to begin with and are going to want to work together more in the future. You know, if there's questions of organizational or leadership down the road, this gives them a taste of being able to actually have an effect and do that and want to work with the people that they're working with now. Yeah, I agree. It is time. And I don't think we're quite there yet. There, there are still folks in the legislature who are resistant to change. Whatever that change is, they're just resistant. And it may just take, you know, you asked about timeline issues. And <laughs> I, there's probably uh 1% chance that we get a, a fiscal, uh, an agreement on a fiscal plan this session, right? Oh, right. It, it right. likely goes into next session. Next session's a, a um, harder session to get anything like that done because of the election year. So I guess I take a look at when did we do the fiscal policy working group, right? That was July of 21. And now this is the first session of the next legislature, so two years later, and we're just now really being able to have a conversation about the fiscal policy working group recommendations. So whatever comes out of this in the first session of this legislature may have to be taken up in the first session of the next legislature. Well, and thank goodness you actually got around to it because I mean, I was just so shocked that, I mean, I think that the fiscal policy working group recommendations were mentioned, I think once on the floor during the, you know, after the recommendations were released, I think it was, it was mentioned in passing one time on the floor, never had a deeper analysis, never had a report, never had a, you know, it was like, thanks for your service. We'll see you later. And then they moved on. And so it's good to see that that's coming out now and that we still have that in our back pocket to try and help inform what we're doing now. 
Um, it, it, it to me, it just seemed like, well, the business as usual crowd has once again decided that they, you know, that they don't want to change gears or do anything else. They want to keep doing what they're doing. Let me let me remind you that the fiscal policy working group came together on June 28, 2021. You know what happens in a couple of days after June 28? Yeah, the budget ends. The budget ends, which means the government shuts down because we didn't have a budget agreement. The only reason that we got a, an agreement for a fiscal policy working group was to prevent the government shutdown. That's the only reason. For some people, that's the only reason that there was even an agreement for it. So any report or recommendations that come out of it for those people was meaningless, it, right? Was, meaningless. It was. Yeah. It was blow, just blow theater. your nose with it. Yeah, political theater. That's all it was. Look what I did. All thing. I avoided the shutdown, and hey, it was nice of them. Let me pat them on the head and tell them good work, and then we're going to go off and do it. Um, which, again, was so shocking to me because of the makeup of the group, the philosophical and political makeup of the group. The fact that they came out unanimously should have said something to someone, but it didn't. And uh, but now we're we're back on track. All right. So we're going <clears> to <throat> we're going to talk about the timeline. We're going to talk about solutions. We're about ready to jump into it. We're 10 seconds out. Ben, hold the line. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Here we go, folks. Please like and share on Facebook and subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube if you haven't. Here we go. Continuing now with Representative Ben Carpenter, uh, who is a representative from the Southern Peninsula and chair of the Ways and Means Committee, who's been tasked with creating a long-term fiscal plan for the state of Alaska. Now, the first thing I asked about, or actually the second thing, we're going to go second thing first, was a timeline. Um, and in fact, I think you said it during the break here. There's a 1% chance that the uh, long-term fiscal plan is going to be approved, reviewed, approved, and come out of this this year, this session, uh, as it's going on. Uh, I'm probably going to regret saying that, Michael. One percent, yeah. But I mean, I mean, I mean, we all know that that this is this is a, a long-term thing. I mean, they're already talking about some of these things. Even Gary Stevens admitted that the defined benefits package portions of it is probably going to take two years. We know these are long-term things that can't usually be done in one go-round. So what are we thinking? Are you know is it going to be this this year and next year for the end of this session, and then maybe into the next session that we you know have, what kind of timeline do you think we're looking at for a full fiscal policy working group type long-term fiscal plan in the state of Alaska? What do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm no political wizard, right? I. I'm doing the best that I can down here, but I recognize that in my limited time in the legislature that second legislature, second session legislature is all about re-election. And so taking chances on a long-term fiscal plan, on, on options for a long-term fiscal plan during an election season is probably just not going to happen. I, I can't say that for sure, and it doesn't mean that I'm not going to try, but um, it's going to take a... Uh, concerted effort and, and uh, intestinal fortitude by a lot of people to make something happen during that season. And if, and look, if, if conditions are the, of, of such that the economy is, is still tanking and, and um, we don't have good 
good economics and the, and the families in the state are still struggling, then, then maybe a, a better fiscal policy does uh, emerge from even during the election season. But um, it's likely, I'm just spitballing here, it's likely that just like we had to have an initial conversation with the fiscal policy working group in the summer of 21, and now it's the first um, session of the next legislature where we're actually getting to talk to it, talk about it, and, and put forward action items, right? The fiscal policy working group didn't have bills that came out of it right. to actually take action on. Now we're gonna have bills that we can take action on, and, and they may have to, the, the concepts may have to hold over until the first session of the legislature. I don't. I would prefer that that not happen because there's a lot of a lot of unknowns there, and you have sure. to start over from scratch with all the bills. But well, that's the yeah, and that it creates a it creates a secondary problem because now then maybe we have <clears throat> more new players. Now that could be an opportunity or an obstacle. I don't know which one it could be because it might encourage people to ask questions it might be you know that that might be the good thing during that election season to ask do you support the fiscal policy working group or do you support the ways and means committee long-term fiscal plan because we'll have it out by then right well we should have all the details and maybe that's a hammer that we can use to to when the election cycle comes back around to ask these people do you want to say send the same group of people back that are in there right now maybe people who are holding it up or maybe people who are championing it you know who do you want to send back and it may be another opportunity for us to uh sculpt the legislature a little bit more into a fiscally sound organization instead of you know <clears throat> a bunch of spendthrifts yeah well if the next election can focus on on solutions instead of rhetoric instead of criticism then that that would be a positive thing for the state i would love to go into an election season saying hey these are the these are the options we have for a fiscal plan. Uh, whoever you elect is going to enable or, or um, make it harder for this plan to get put together. And maybe that's the conversation that needs to happen um, during the next election. So, um, well, anyway, that's we just keep moving forward because the legislative process was never intended to be a quick process. Right. Well, and I think that's good. I think that's I mean, I think this is the plus here is that not only you're thinking about a long term fiscal plan. Now we're talking in what we just talked about. That's a long term political plan to understand that we've got to we've got to take the long game approach to this. We've got to take that long. I mean, we didn't get here all in one fell swoop with one single legislator legislature that just, you know, spent us into oblivion. This has been a long, slow slog and process. We need to, uh, you know, we need to uh, take that long-term approach to the political aspect of it as well. We should be planning on what's going to be happening in the next election cycle already. Who should we be supporting? Who, you know, who are we watching? What questions are we going to be asking? And this is all going to be based on their track record over the next two years. Absolutely. And and political um, campaigns for election are all um you have to be able to discern between the rhetoric, what people are just saying, and largely the easiest way to do that is to have something concrete that you can ask the question, right? Do you support X, Y, or Z? And if you don't support X, Y, or Z, which could be the fiscal policy working group um, idea, right? The concept of coming together to to um, solve the, the long-term stability of the, of the state um, or improve it. Uh, if you don't support that, you don't support the options that are on the table, then maybe I don't want to have you in the legislature this, this time. Right, maybe right. It's, maybe it's not the right time for you to be here. 
No, I agree. Uh, I agree. I think it's going to be important, and I think we need to uh, we need to start thinking in those long term phases as we go through it. So uh, down to the last four minutes here or so, Representative Carpenter. So the listeners out there, people who are listening to this, people who are tired of the arguments over the PFD and all these other things, what can we do? What can we do to help um, the House majority, the legislature as a whole, our, you know, our own communities? How can we help make this long-term fiscal plan a reality? Well, the easy answer is to say participate in the process, but that's a little cliche. We always say that. I think the harder piece of this, and, and it's hard for legislators, it's going to be hard for the general public, is to know exactly what you want. And that may sound um, a little shallow, but it is a hard question to answer. What do you really want? Do you want, is, is the thing that you want, you really, really, really want a large PFD? Do you want your government to just stay? Uh, keep your hands out of the permanent fund earnings and and create a stable way to to uh, spend that or use it? Do you want a growing economy? Do you want, is the only thing you want is, is a um, higher spending for teachers, better teacher pay? What is it that you really want? And, and I boil this down and, and I think of the, the families in my district and by the way, I'm in the northern Kenai Peninsula. Sarah uh, Vance is yeah, in the southern sorry. Kenai Peninsula. I apologize. You're right. I apologize. That's okay. But what my families in my community want is economic opportunity. And there's that's a that's a, a broad range. But if that's what you really want, then communicate that to the legislature. Because the processes that are in place down here are not normally um focused on economic opportunity they're focused on what do we do with our government spending to benefit government so if you want economic opportunity you've got to communicate that to your legislators and and i would i'm just going out on a limb here to say that that's probably what most people want to see is is better economic op opportunity and our state is in all the categories of where you measure economic opportunity our state is headed in the wrong direction and if that message is not being to all of the legislators that, that that is what we want. Focus on economic opportunity and all of the other problems kind of fall into place when we have a, a growing economy, when, when things are better economically. If that's not your main focus, then tell your legislator that too. But you've got to know what you really, really want. And it, and it, it, need, it matters. It's the first time I ever thought I would hear Ben Carpenter quote the Spice Girls. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. That's uh, that's it's what it is. But I mean, I think that's it. I think they've got to know, right? I mean, we've got to know what you really want. And I agree with you. I think the majority of Alaskans, regardless of political affiliation, really want to see economic growth in the state of Alaska. Now, the question is, is that government's responsibility or is it the private sector's or is it the free market's responsibility? You and I are on the same page, I think, in agreeing that it's the free market's responsibility. We need to make sure that we are supporting and electing people who follow that philosophy so that we don't try and decouple the public and private economy. They've got to work hand in hand. One has got to be dependent on the other, and we've got to let the free market do its thing. Last 60 seconds here, Ben. Yeah. Uh, fiscal Policy Working Group, I think, had people who are thinking about the fiscal, uh, the uh, free market economy. In the legislature, we're not really. So you, you hit the nail on the head. We, we can't allow the, the free market economy to be decoupled 
from what's happening in the legislature. And that is the current trajectory we are on. And that's that's the battle. I uh, I couldn't agree more. Representative Ben Carpenter, uh, our guest for today here on the Michael Luke show. Your next meeting is on the 8th of March. Is that correct? No, next next meeting's on the 6th. It's next Monday. So it's Mondays and Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Okay, Mondays, Wednesdays, 6 p.m. You can go to Gavel to Gavel. You can watch them. You're taking public testimony? On the 8th. On the 8th. Okay, that was where the 8th came from. The public testimony for those bills on the 8th. And we're going to be talking about PFDs and the fiscal policy plans and more. This is the guy to watch, folks, right here. He's trying to come up with a plan and a solution. He needs our support. We should be calling in and talking with him. Thank you so much, Ben, for coming on board. As always, appreciate you. Appreciate you bringing Donna back and getting that information in the legislature as well. We didn't talk about that, but thank you for bringing Donna back onto the program. Appreciate you coming in. You're welcome. Thank you, Michael. It's good to talk as always. Out of time, folks. Be kind, love one another, live well. All right, Ben, this is the time where I give you, if there's one final bite at the apple, something we didn't cover, a question I didn't ask, or anything else, it's all you, baby. Yeah, I just I just want to let people know that I, I have not dropped the ball on the um, grand jury issue. It's, it's um, separate from ways and means, but it is very close to my heart, and I am, I am working on it. I've got an assessment that I'm going to send to a constitutional attorney to draw up legislation to deal with this issue. But I, I did an assessment on the court rule changes, uh, Supreme Court Order 1993. And we are, we are literally looking at the Supreme Court putting rules in place that violate statute. 100%, that's what happened. So how we go about that and uh, solving that problem with in the divided legislature is is tricky but i'm i am uh i'm committed to doing so well and i i, I, just, I would argue not even a lot just, on my plate yeah i would argue not just violating statute they're violating them i mean it's the con they're changing a constitutional provision they're trying to do it from the bench um yeah no doubt the, the constitution and the the um statements from our founding fathers um you know that who drew up the constitution were very clear that the the uh, grand jury's focus was supposed to be on preventing corruption within our government, right? And to the extent that the Supreme Court order makes it harder for this for the grand jury to investigate its own government is is counter constitutional. Yeah. And I anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a big it's a big issue. But you know what? People don't know where the the grand jury authority comes from. Right. You know, if you ask them which part of the Constitution does it come from. Is it the judiciary, the executive, or the legislative portion of the Constitution? Well, it's neither. It, it doesn't come from any of that. It comes from Article One. You know, where we get our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, we get our freedom of uh, um, press and the freedom of all of the individual freedoms. Grand juries, right in there. Right. It is an individual freedom that is not. Um, it's not a function of either any branch of government. Right. It's so an individual liberty. We, we right. the people have got to understand this. Well, I'm hoping that we can shine some more light on this. I myself have uh, pointed a couple of uh, investigative journalists from Reason Magazine at this. Uh, so I'm hoping that Reason might uh, take a look at this and shed some light on this because this is a this is a shocking development. This whole thing with the Supreme Court coming down 
writing their own rules outside of the committee that's supposed to do it, promulgating them in a surprise manner, telling them that they can't investigate that. Um, people should be shocked by that. They should be outraged by it. And uh, they should be. Yeah. So but people don't know what a grand jury is. Yeah. How many no. people have served on a grand jury? Yeah. I don't know. It's it's kind of one of those things that is behind the scenes, happens in the in the um, behind closed doors, and people just don't really know much about it. Right. But there's plenty of plenty of stuff being written about it um, for the government, statutes that govern it, and court rules that govern it, and all you have to do is read the two and realize that what the court is doing is in violation of what the statute says. And the statute trumps the court rule. So we've got a problem that we have to correct. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm hoping that we can shine some light on it. Like I said, that's why I'm reaching out to some of the people that I know and see if we can get some see if we can get some exposure on that and get things squared away. All right. Well, well have call my office. I, I will. I'll, I I gave him your name already. I just didn't give him direct contact. So we'll see if we can get uh, something on that as well. Representative Ben Carpenter, thank you so much for coming on board. As always, it's a pleasure to speak with you. And we will uh, hopefully talk with you again soon here in a couple, couple, three weeks. Thank you, sir. All right. Appreciate you coming on board. All right, folks, that does it for today. We are ready to pull the plug and get things uh, squared away. Tomorrow is Firearms Friday. How did we get to Friday so fast? It's insane. It's just crazy. Uh, don't forget to check out the Common Sense Corps if you want to support us. Support the show for as little as a cup of coffee a month. You can help support the show. We appreciate all your help and concern on that. We will return tomorrow with more goodness. Commonsensical goodness is what we call it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Be kind, love one another, and live well. We'll see you later. Have a great day.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 